Well, thanks, Austin, and good morning, everyone. My name's Ryan, and I'm one of the ministry apprentices here at EV. Uh, it's great to have the privilege of preaching this morning. I don't know how you've found the series so far on Seven Deadly Sins. I found it pretty painful. Uh, I came in to pride knowing it was going to be a hard week, uh, and it was. And then I came into anger thinking it would be a bit of a gentler one. Um, but through the last week, God's revealed to me more and more places where I'm not being patient. Uh, but more than just being reminded of my sin, I've been grateful to be reminded of God's grace as well. So let's pray and ask him to help us now as we come to his word again. Father, thank you for your word, and as Austin's read it, that we've just heard you speak to us. We pray that you would be at work through your word today to reveal sin to us, but draw us back to you to remember again your grace and forgiveness that you've shown to us. Pray though through your word you would be shaping us more and more into the image of your son, so we can go out into our weeks glorifying you in everything that we say and do. Pray for this in your son's name. Amen. Well, apparently comparison is the thief of joy. But we all do it, right? We compare our popularity and our net worth and our level of education with each other. We look at other people to determine if we're a good person or not. And sometimes that's all in good fun. Any sport is really just a comparison between two teams to see who's better. But other times, not so much. I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago, Instagram stopped showing how many likes each post was getting. Because what they found was people were comparing themselves to each other based on how many likes they got. And that this was actually damaging to people's mental health. It was causing anxiety. It was stopping people from wanting to use the app. And so they just stopped letting you compare. I grew up with an older brother. And I don't know who here is a younger sibling, but growing up like that, it's pretty competitive. You do whatever you can to keep up with your older siblings, whether that's in sport, uh, in music, or school, whatever it is, you have to do anything you can to keep up, and I would do whatever it took to be better than my brother at something. Now, we grew, both grew up playing instruments, and I remember when he first joined a band, he got to play this show, uh, you know, a proper show, where it was up on stage with lights and smoke machines and all the good stuff you look for in a show. And I was glad for him, but actually there was a part of me that was kind of annoyed that it wasn't me that got that opportunity. And we all do that, right? Whether you have an older sibling or not, there's places in our lives we're comparing to others. We compare to others, we compare to ourselves five years ago, the number on the scales or the number in our bank account. We're doing it all the time. But the thing is, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Comparison itself isn't an issue. And in fact, the Bible tells us to compare. As we look at Jesus as an example we should be following, that's to some level a comparison we have to make. The issue is that so often when we're comparing ourselves to other people, envy is right behind. Now I looked up in a dictionary to see exactly what envy is, and according to the dictionary, it's a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another, joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. So put simply, it's desiring something we don't have and resenting the people who do have it being jealous of the good things that other people get. Now, sometimes we talk about jealousy and envy as if they're two different things. If you ask a psychologist, you'll probably get an answer that envy is wanting other people's stuff and jealousy is being protective of the things we already have. So we talk about a husband being jealous for his wife, that kind of idea. But as we come to the Bible, it's not quite so clear-cut on that. We don't really see jealousy being used one way and envy being used another. And so today, as we talk about the sin of envy, we're talking about desiring what other people have and resenting them for it. Now, it shows up everywhere. It shows up when a sibling got stabbed later than me as a kid or when a friend got more pocket money. 
but it doesn't just stay with childish things like that. As we grow up, we still keep, we still keep desiring what other people have, whether it's their houses or their cars. Uh, you know, sometimes you see someone who has no qualifications at all, and they kind of seem to have no skills at all, and somehow they luck into a job that pays twice as much as us. That one's always infuriating to me. <laughs> uh, but maybe you're someone who's struggled with your health long-term, and you see people who never seem to have an issue. Perhaps you're single, and you've just seen another friend get married. It shows up everywhere. At this point, though, you might wonder, if we're talking about envy today and the sin, how is it that the Bible can describe God as being jealous? That's a great question to ask, but there are a couple of key differences between God's jealousy and ours. First of all, God actually deserves the things he's jealous for. The Bible describes God as jealous, but says he's jealous and won't allow us to worship anyone or anything else. He alone is to be worshipped. That's a good thing to be jealous for. That's actually something that we should desire. If God didn't care whether people worshipped him or not, that would actually be a far bigger issue. The other thing that's interesting to note with God's jealousy is that he doesn't just sit around in bitterness and stew on it like we so often do. It actually causes him to reach out in kindness. See, so he reveals himself to us through his word. He also sends his son to repair the broken relationship. He's jealous for us to worship him, and he actually makes a way for that to be possible. When was the last time that our jealousy caused us to be kind to other people? If you're anything like me, it hasn't. And so we see that God's jealousy and ours are just not the same thing. He's right to be jealous for the things he's jealous for, uh, and ours is just an ugly, bitter resentment that we hold towards other people. And that resentment pops up everywhere, like we've already talked about. But I think the next question is, does that actually matter? Like, jealousy is just something going on in our heads. How big of a deal can that be? It's not hurting anyone else. Why should we care? And that's why it's helpful to have Genesis 37 just read for us, as Austin did, hearing the story of Joseph and his brothers. So let's have a look at Genesis 37 and work through it a little more. So Joseph, we saw, was one of Jacob's 12 sons. And by verse 3, we already saw that he was the favorite son. Now, it's, general wisdom is not to have favorite children. Uh, I'm, I'm still allowed to have a favorite child because I have one. Um, but as soon as you go beyond that, you're just not allowed anymore. Those are the rules. We will play by them. But if you're going to have a favorite child anyway, you're not allowed to tell your other kids. That's a pretty basic rule. Don't give them a special bright jacket that tells the entire world that you have a favorite child. So the treatment is pretty rough at this point for the brothers. And then to make matters even worse, Joseph starts getting these dreams. Now, I was never bold enough to tell my older brother that he would one day bow down to me. Uh, I can't imagine it would have ended very well for me if I tried it. But you know, it doesn't end too well for Joseph either. By verse 5, we see that the brothers' the envy has actually turned into hatred. And you probably heard it as the story went through, that they, were, that they hated him more and more. It's pretty unfair treatment. Think for a second how you would feel. It's easy to sit and judge the brothers. But actually, imagine that your dad loves one of your siblings more than you, and he's not even secretive about it. That's pretty rough. I, that's got a sting. And even more than that, growing up with Joseph as a brother, he just seems like a bit of a tool. <laughs> but even so, it's a pretty extreme response. We all kind of recognize that, that throwing your brother in a pit and selling him into slavery goes too far. Now, I grew up with siblings, um, and I'm happy to report that I not once tried to sell one into slavery. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty low bar, but I take wins where I can get them. Um, but the brother's response here, it just seems out of hand. We all go, that's way too far. But stop and think how quickly our minds go there, even if, even if we don't actually take that out on people. 
How often when we see someone who has great things, has more than us, there's a part of us that wishes they didn't, that they'd lose it somehow. And that's really the ugly part of envy, is that it's not just wanting more for ourselves, but it's actually wanting other people to have less. Maybe it's when you see someone who is successful, who has plenty, and then something does go wrong in their life, and they lose it. There's a part inside of us that's kind of glad that they're going to have to experience how we live. It's pretty gross, and I'm sure none of us really want to admit that that's what's going on in our hearts, but it happens so often. Envy that we feel for people is so often followed closely behind by anger and hatred towards them. Stop and think for a second, though, if we dive a little more deeply into the brothers' envy. If you were to survey men in their 20s, I can't imagine that the number one thing on all their wish lists is a rainbow poncho. It's a pretty odd thing for them to all be desperate for. Because really, it's not what they needed. It's not something they really even probably wanted that much. It's not that they weren't being treated fairly by their dad, but it doesn't seem they were being mistreated either. You know, he seems to be someone who cared for his family, they seemed to be provided for. They all had jobs and seemed to have what they needed. The issue was they saw Joseph and they saw that he had more than them. And my jealousy is just like this. It's never coming from a place of desperate need. You know, if you if you look around through history or even around the world today, I live a pretty privileged, pretty comfortable life. And yet I'm so often jealous of other people. It's not coming from need. See, one of the places, as I've thought about this, that jealousy keeps coming up in, in my life is when I think about buying a house. Uh, it's kind of the marker of success in our society. You're kind of meant to do it to prove that you're a real grown-up. Um, but as I look around, it's just kind of not something that is likely for us any time in the near future. But that's fine. Our, our house is fine, the place we're renting. It's got enough room for us. It's warm. It's safe. It does all the things you need a house to do. But the issue is I see other people who have something better than me, and I resent them. It's not that I'm actually in need of it, it's just I don't like other people getting more. And so I start dragging those people down. When I see people my age or even younger who buy houses, I'll say, well, they just have rich parents. And they just got a handout. I've actually worked hard for the things I've gotten. I, I don't know. I just want to bring other people down to feel better about myself. And so instead of celebrating the things God's given me, I complain about his blessings. Instead of celebrating the way that he's blessing other people, I turn that around and I resent them instead. And when we do that, we're actually not just resenting those people, we're actually resenting God. See, when, when we're jealous of other people, what we're saying is, God, you haven't distributed your blessings well. You haven't been fair, you haven't been kind to me. If I was distributing blessings, I'd do a much better job than you would. As soon as you say that out loud, it feels pretty stupid, and you kind of realize that, that it's daft, but that's what's going on in our hearts every time we're jealous of other people. Now, as I looked through the Bible on this and kind of looked at a whole bunch of different stories of where envy came up, I realized so often the horrific acts, the horrific stories that we know of in the Bible come straight out of envy. We've just sort of heard about Joseph being sold into slavery. Uh, that's, that's pretty dark. But last week, we were talking about Cain and Abel. We were talking about anger as Cain killed his brother. But really, that's a story of envy. Abel's sacrifice is accepted and Cain's isn't. And so Cain kills his brother out of jealousy. As you get a bit further through the Bible, you'll come across the story of Daniel. Now, Daniel is thrown into a lion's den to be killed. We kind of often know that part of the story, but it came from jealousy. The other wise men were jealous of the fact that Daniel was so wise and he was so successful at advising the kings. And so they have a plot to see him killed. Saul is the first king of Israel. And King Saul, 
He tries to kill David, who's just a young man, because David is too popular with people. And as a church, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark earlier this year. And when we get to Mark chapter 15, verse 10, we see that Jesus was handed over to be killed because the religious leaders were jealous of him. The greatest evil that ever came about on the human stage, the innocent Son of God put to death, came from envy. But I get as you think about this, it might all feel a little bit far-fetched. In terms of, we probably feel some jealousy, but none of us have, hopefully, tried to murder anyone recently. And so it feels like, well, maybe our jealousy is not as bad as theirs then. They were really extreme cases, but ours is okay. It's just sin lying to us. It's us just believing the deceitfulness of sin. James 3.16 tells us about it clearly. It will be on the screen. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Envy will be followed by other sins. That's the clear message that the Bible holds out for us. If you're allowing yourself to be envious, to be jealous of other people, and thinking it just goes on in your head, so who cares? God's word makes it clear that every evil practice will follow. If I think back to the example I gave of wanting to buy a house, I already talked about how I drag people down and speak negatively of people, but actually it's made me greedy as well. It's made me not want to to be generous to people because I'm trying to keep up with everyone around me. I'm trying to save everything I have so I'm not seen as a failure who couldn't buy a house. Whatever it is, it pushes me into greed. When we gossip, so often that's coming out of envy. Just think about it. As you see someone who has a better reputation or more skills, whatever it is, you want to gossip and bring their reputation back down in line with yours. We want to bring them back a peg. Every affair starts with envy. As someone becomes dissatisfied with their spouse, and then they start to desire a different relationship. Maybe the thoughts are entering the head of the workmate who's attractive or easy to talk to. And what started out as just a thought, desiring a relationship that isn't theirs, builds into an affair that ruins marriages and it ruins families. So don't convince yourself that your envy is no big deal, that you're different to everyone else and you're okay with it. God's word is clear that if we allow ourselves to be envious, that sin will catch up with us. It'll take root and grow into all kinds of other sins that ruin friendships, that ruin careers, that ruin marriages and churches. The destruction that comes behind envy reaches everything. So hear the warning, and we need to actually take it seriously and put our sin to death at that root cause, at the level of envy. How do we actually do that? What's actually the cure to all of our envy? Well, the first thing we need to remember is that fairness isn't actually something we want. Because that's what envy really is, right? That's where it's coming from. As we look around and we say, God, it's not fair that they have that and I don't. It's not fair that I'm suffering and that person isn't. But how can we as Christians sit around and complain about fairness? Let's just think about for a second what we believe. We believe that we're all sinners, that we've all rejected God, we've all failed to obey him, to worship him, to follow him the way that we should. And that because of that sin, we deserve punishment. We deserve death, we deserve judgment. And yet Jesus came and he takes that for us. And so if we trust in him, we're forgiven, we have eternal life instead of punishment because Jesus took it for us. That's not fair. If we want to talk about fairness, this is where we should start. But we're not given fairness, we're given grace instead. See, if we trust in God, we are totally forgiven sinners. We're not getting the punishment that we deserve. And that does away with any entitlement we have. As we look around and think we deserve more than what God's given us, 
We need to actually come back to this and remember how much we've already been given. But it keeps getting better because we're not just left in this neutral place of God's no longer angry at us. But God actually adopts us as children. He pours out love and he pours out kindness on us instead. Let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says this. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. So this is the God who actually has the right to be angry with us, and yet he chooses to pour out kindness instead. How can I respond to this amazing kindness if I see this more and more by turning around and complaining that I pay rent instead of a mortgage? It's just pathetic, but we all do it. We complain that we're passed over for a promotion. We're upset that God made someone else more intelligent or better looking than us. All these things are so pathetic when we actually understand how much we've already been given. And yet we get caught up in it because we've lost sight of Jesus. See, envy comes into our lives because we fail to recognize how good God's already been to us, how generous and how kind he is. So we need to keep being reminded of God's goodness. If we're feeling dissatisfied, it's not because God is withholding things from us. It's because we're looking at the wrong things. Now, I get that this is all pretty easy to say. It's easy to stand up here and say this, but it's much harder to live it out in our lives. And so that's why I'm grateful for God's word that helps us, that changes us over time. So I want to share a psalm with you that's helpful. Psalm 37. This is a great place to turn if you're someone who's struggling with envy. As you're tempted to feel resentful towards others, Psalm 37 is really helpful. So let's turn there now, and let's work through starting in verse 1. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. It's easy to be envious of other people prospering, especially when it seems like they're not even living for God. It feels like we're trying to live God's way and other people are living more fulfilled lives than we are. Whatever thing it is, maybe you see people who get to sleep in on Sundays and you're up here early to be at church or even earlier to serve. Maybe you see people who seem to be living completely for themselves and you're trying to live for the good of others at a cost to yourself. Maybe it's giving financially. We think of all the other things we could do with that instead. See, if you give to church here at EV, you would have just recently received your donation tax receipt. And on that, you can have a look and you can see the total amount that you've given in the last year. It's pretty tempting to look at that and think of everything else you could have done with that money instead. Right? We could have all gone on nicer holidays. We could have upgraded our phones every year. We could eat at nice restaurants. We could buy more guitars. Um, sorry, that one's probably a bit more niche, but you can fill in the blank there for whatever it is you would rather spend that money on. It seems like we're missing out. It seems like there's something better that other people are getting. But they're not. This passage tells us not to envy because those people who are living for themselves, their success doesn't last. It says they will wilt. We have a treasure that lasts forever. So don't get distracted by treasures that will rot away. We need to keep focusing on, a, on eternity. Let's carry on. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. So if we learn to delight in God rather than our material comforts, we'll have our desires met. That's actually an incredible cure to envy. I'm not sure if you caught it as we were going through, but we've been talking about envy as desiring things we don't have. But this verse promises that if we delight in God, we'll have all our desires met. 
So if we stop focusing on the money and the cars and houses and whatever other thing you want to insert in there, and then to delight in God, we will have our desires met. Now, that doesn't mean you can just keep all your selfish desires and somehow still get all the cars and houses and anything else you could want. But as we learn to delight in God more, our desires are brought in line with his, and we see him working out his plans, him carrying out his plans here on earth, and we're able to find satisfaction in that. So how? How do we actually delight in God? Well, it's like any other relationship. If I want to delight in my wife, I have to actually invest into that relationship. Uh, Believe it or not, I have to put my phone down. (laughs) I have to turn the TV off, and I actually have to spend time with my wife talking to her. I have to care about the things that she cares about. I have to listen to her, understand her thoughts, and the things that she wants. And so as we want to delight in God and grow our relationship with him, we have to do that as well. We need to be investing intentionally into that. Now, firstly, that comes through his word as we learn to actually open it and hear him speak to us. If we're not making time to be hearing from God in his word, there's no way we're going to be learning to delight in him. It doesn't just happen on its own. But we also need to be praying. We need to recognize that we have a two-way relationship with God and that he wants us to come to him, to confess our sins to him, but also to bring our cares and our concerns because he's a loving father who wants to hear. He, he desires us to see him that way. And there's another one that I think we think about a little less, and that's that we actually need church. We need to be here together. As we have morning tea and share and encourage one another, reminding one another of how good God is, but also as we're in these services together, as we hear God's word read, and as we sing together, as we get to lift our voices together, reminding each other of how good God is and what he's done for us, that helps us to delight in him. You know, in my own life, I can think of the times that I've been the most discontent. And it's never really come from need. We already talked about that. But it comes when I've lost sight of God. I'm not in his word because I'm busy at work, so I'm leaving early instead of reading his word. Maybe I'm just staying up too late gaming, and so I sleep in and don't have any time for prayer. Whatever excuses we make, when we're not spending time in God's word, not coming to him in prayer, not being together with his people at church, there's no way that we're going to be growing in our delight in him. So we actually need to invest in that intentionally. Otherwise, everything else in the world is going to keep coming, and it creeps in and brings envy right in behind. Verse 7 tells us to be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by the one who prospers in his way. Call to be patient. Now, God's promises to us are great. The promises that we have to look forward to are incredible, but the issue that we have with them is that we don't see them all fully now. And so we see other people that seem to get what's theirs, and that's when we're tempted to jealousy. We need to remember that God's promises are better than anything else we could see, and we just need to be patient for them. Let's skip ahead a little bit to verse 16. It says, The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. God promises to watch over us and to sustain us. He'll satisfy us amidst poverty and hunger. But it does talk about poverty and hunger and not having much. The Bible's not promising us that we'll be rich now and we'll have all of the things we could ever wish for. The promise is that God will sustain us and provide for us even through the difficulties that we face. And so if we do learn to delight in God like we've just been talking about, we can be satisfied regardless of our living conditions, 
regardless of our financial state, and even regardless of our health. Because our satisfaction was never in those things, it was always in a God who doesn't change. See, when we're satisfied like this, we can start actually celebrating the blessings that God gives to other people. We can rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what Romans 12 tells us to do. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Can you do that? I think it's a command we skip over and don't actually think about a whole lot. But it's worth asking yourself, do you celebrate other people's successes? When was the last time that you spent time thanking God for the way he was blessing other people, even in ways that he hasn't blessed you? See, often we don't do that, or at least often I don't do that. I was just thinking even, there's a bunch of us apprentices here at EV, and sometimes one of the other apprentices will will do something great. Maybe it's a sermon or a youth talk or whatever, and I'll, I'll hear how great a job they did. And I'm glad that God's using them to work in people and to preach the word faithfully. But there's a part of me as well that's, kind of wishes it was me. I'm not totally celebrating because I wish I had the gifts that other people had. Or I wish I'd been given the opportunities that someone else was given. That's not really rejoicing with those who rejoice. As, and it's because I've forgotten about how much God's already provided for me, how many opportunities he's already given me to serve him and serve his people, as well as the blessings that I have in Christ. In my heart, I'm thinking that Somehow God's been stingy with me because he didn't give me the skill that he gave that person. Someone else has a gift that I wish I had. So what is it for you? Where can't you celebrate the good things God is doing for other people? As we put envy to death in our lives, we also rise to kindness. As we recognize God's kindness to us that we've already talked about, the only way we can possibly respond to that is to be kind to other people as well. As we see the way that Instead of, being, uh, that instead of being selfish, Jesus became humble and served us. It motivates us to serve others. The more we think on that, the more we're motivated to be kind to others. How can we turn around and be unkind and be short-tempered? See, when we're unkind to other people, I think we have to say we've forgotten what God's done. There's no way we can be really reflecting on the grace and the forgiveness that we've been shown and then turn around and be short-tempered and self-centered and unkind to people. So if you do find yourself being unkind and tearing people down, we need to come back to God's word and remember how great and how kind he's been to us, even though we deserved his anger. Now, if you're anything like me, you're probably realizing at this point that there is envy and there is jealousy all through your life. And maybe you've even been resenting people here at church. It could be that they have materially better things than you, or it could be that they were elevated to a position of leadership that you wanted for yourself. And so now you're just talking negatively about them, trying to drag them down, not helping them. Perhaps you feel rivalry with others. The one I always feel is wanting to be the smartest in my connect group. Maybe you want to be seen as the hardest worker wherever it is that you're serving. Or someone else is being praised for something that actually you think you're better at. And so you feel that rivalry, you feel that need to beat other people, to be better than other people. That rivalry is not how we're called to treat one another as a church. 1 John 3 says, This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So if you're recognizing places that you aren't doing this, that you aren't laying down your life, you aren't loving others here, that's a good thing. 
feels wrong to say, but it's the painful work of the Holy Spirit revealing sin to us and shaping us more into Jesus' image. So we need to take that to God. We need to come before him and confess our sin, recognize that we're sinners. But we don't just sit there in despair. We can remember God's forgiveness. We can remember that we don't stand before God because we've lived a perfect life. We stand before God because Jesus lived a perfect life. And that frees us from the guilt that we feel in our envy. But you might actually need to go a bit further than that. See, if someone's come to mind for you that you have been envious of and that that's affected the way you've treated them, you actually need to go to that person and set it right. That's hard because <laughs> other people see it. But as a church, we're called to be united. We're called to be one body. And so that means we need to do the hard work of recognizing our sin, confessing it to one another, and putting those relationships right. So who is that for you that you might need to talk to even today after church and recognize that you've been envious? I want to leave you with one last story. And it's not a story of my own life. It's a story found in John chapter 21, where Jesus is talking with one of his disciples, Peter. So we're going to start reading in John 21, verse 18. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. This is John being described, the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Now you can kind of relate to Peter here. He's given up everything he has to follow Jesus. It's not been an easy road for him, but he's persevered. And now he finds out that at the end he's going to die a humiliating death. But he doesn't actually complain, which I think is amazing to start with. But what he does do is he looks over at John and says, what about him? Now you can understand that question. It's, is it going to be fair? All 12 of us have given up everything. Surely I'm not the only one who's going to suffer this. Surely, God, you're going to be fair, and you're going to make sure that all of us get the same treatment. But Jesus responds to him in verse 22, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Jesus is telling Peter not to get caught up in comparing himself to the other disciples, whether that be gifts, or whether that be comforts, or how they're going to die. And that message is actually the same for us today as well. While God is prepared for other people, he's prepared for other people. It's not our job to go around policing how God's done that and make sure we think he's done a fair job. What God has given us is to follow Jesus. Is that enough for you? Is it enough for me? That's the question we actually have to ask. Is following Jesus enough to find contentment? Because if it is, that's, that's the cure to our envy. As we take our eyes off of others, we stop making all the comparisons that we make, and instead we focus on Jesus and following his example, we can find contentment in that. When we do that, the resentment we feel towards other people goes away, the contentment comes in and it suffocates our envy. Because we aren't called to make sure we all suffer an even amount. We aren't called to compare our lives to one another and make sure that we all get even blessings. We're called to follow Jesus. That means that we follow his example of kindness as, he, as we lay down our lives for each other and ultimately as we lay down our lives for God's glory. Let's pray.
Lord, we recognize today that so often we lose sight of you and the kindness that you've shown us. That we forget your mercy and your grace towards us. And instead we get caught up in all the little things that we want. All the blessings we see other people have. And so we pray you would help us to take our eyes off those things. We pray you would help us to focus on your son and the amazing gifts we've been given in him. Pray for any hurt relationships here in church where people are harboring envy or resentment. Pray that you would help us to put those right. Pray that we would be a church that doesn't have rivalry between its people, but that we are all on the same page wanting to see your kingdom grow here in Auckland. And we thank you most of all that as we are convicted of our sin and we recognize our envy, that we find mercy in you. Thank you that your son paid the punishment for us and that we are now free to serve you, free to be kind to one another. Pray for all these things in your son's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.